0: Welcome to the Church 214 Podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Oh, man. Got some dad bod coming up on me here. (laughs) Woo! Out of breath. Out of breath. Oh, thank you. Thank you for those that participated. Man, what a freeing exercise, right? Man, I see a lot of smiles out there. Smiles are good. Smiles should be part of church. see a couple frowns. It's okay. It's all right. No dancing in church. Denise, there's crazy people that come to this church. Exactly. is that Blake? You're reading my notes. There are crazy people that come to this church. I tell you what, this is what you should do. You should introduce yourself. You will probably meet your new best friend. Man, man, I do. I need to catch my breath. Psalm 30. For you have turned my sadness into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning, and you have clothed me with joy, O Lord, that I might sing your praises and never be silent. I will give thanks forever. Well, if you haven't caught on yet, um, I've taken it as a bit of a, a special assignment, I guess you could call it, to help lead or teach the church about worship, which is hilarious because I am the least musical person probably in this church. I cannot carry a tune, ask my wife. I cannot play an instrument at all. Actually, I take that back. I can play a mean recorder. In fact, from the fifth grade, this is a funny story, fifth grade, I was so excited. Every, everybody everybody knows what a recorder is, right? Like a flute thing. That I think everybody had to play it like flute exactly it's not a flute blake says Ex- exactly you you served my point well blake so i was so excited that normally you would like um, you would buy your recorder from the school right they would they give it to you as like 15 bucks or whatever i was so excited to learn how to play the recorder that i convinced my dad that we needed to go to the music shop and buy a recorder ahead of time so i was the only one that had this like race you know, like really cool recorder. It was like everybody else's was like playing like vomit brown looking, and mine was like black and ivory and had like racing stripes on it. It was like the coolest recorder in all of fifth grade. I think I was first chair. I don't know. Maybe it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> but here's the thing. This church is going to teach about worship, and, and some of us are going to teach. Some of us are going to lead. Some of us are going to follow. Some of us are going to be reluctant. But here's the thing. If you're in that reluctant group, the only thing I can tell you is, come on in, the water is fine. Well, welcome to church. We're glad you're here. Spring is here, finally. We've been, if you haven't been here in the past couple of weeks, we've been in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in our rebelt series. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and find yourself in Nehemiah chapter two. And while you get there, I'll pray. Father God, Lord, we we are so thankful. your sacrifice. Lord, we want to be a people of joy. Lord, regardless of our circumstance or our situation, Lord, joy is a condition of the heart. And so we just pray, Lord, that we would be a people known for our joy. Father, we ask that your spirit would be in this place, Lord, that it would be heavy in this place this morning, Lord. Lord, we welcome you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, Isaac kicked us off in our Rebuilt series, and he took us through uh, basically a 30,000-foot view of, of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, many of them, m- most of the time, they're, they're kind of almost read as a single book. It's, it's often that churches will teach or preach on both books because they're essentially a, an extension of each other. And then last week, Chris took us through um, Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah as well and just gave an incredible message on um, just the the condition of our heart, the faithfulness of God to uh, Isaiah, um, and just how the people of Judah rebuilt the temple before they did anything in Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple first, and just that illustration of what that looks like in our life. And so today we're going to pick up in Nehemiah. And so to give you a little bit of context, um, Nehemiah is in uh, is part of the exiled Jews in Babylon. And at the time, Nehemiah is the cupbearer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first kind of heard that as a child, I'm like, cupbearer, okay? So he's like this little guy that, you know, probably has an ex- insignificant role. But the reality is, is that the cupbearer in ancient times was a significant role. And the reason was, is because the cupbearer was almost always in the presence of the king. They had unprecedented access to the king. And the cupbearer was also like the one guy that was between death and life for the king. You see, in ancient times, it was common that they would poison the king. And the way that they would do that is they would poison their drink. And so the cupbearer, his role was to take the wine. Yep, that one's good. Here you go. This one's good and then, uh, nope, not this one, don't drink this one, because it was literally, he was the firewall between the king and death, and not only that, the role would have been a role of prominence, and it would have paid well, and so, um, you know, Nehemiah is in the king's court, he's got this great position of stature, and so one day, Well, I should back up. Nehemiah gets word that Jerusalem is in shambles. And so one day he's in the king's court, and he's looking all sad and dejected. And being the cupbearer and being that this role is a role that prevents the king from being poisoned, King Arxerxes takes notice of that. He's like, yo, bro, why you sad? And Nehemiah goes on to share with the king that he's sad because he's heard word that jerusalem is in shambles the walls are a wreck the city's a wreck he's been nehemiah's been fasting and praying about how to address this or deal with it and and king Artaxerxes says hey how can i help and so nehemiah requests a leave of absence to go back to jerusalem and the thing that kind of cracks me up about the bible sometimes i don't know about you but sometimes i read the bible And do you ever see these little humble brags that the Bible does? Have you ever noticed those? Do you guys know what a humble brag is? It's like a humble brag is like when you want to pat yourself on the back, but you do it kind of under this cloak of humility. No? Oh, come on. Come on. Christians are the reigning world champions of the humble brag. It's like, oh, that was a really good message. Oh, but only for God. You know, it's like we rock at this tactic and so in nehemiah chapter 2 starting in verse 8 it says and in this, so this is nehemiah recording what's happening but also this is like the conversation with king Xerxes. so he says and please give me a letter addressed to asaph the manager of the king's forest instructing him to give me timber and i need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and a house for myself And the king grants these requests because of the gracious hand of God on me. But then it goes on. When I came to the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent me along with army officers and horsemen to protect me. And that's what cracks me up. Oh, I should add that the king sent me with the cavalry. Like literally, Nehemiah went with the cavalry, the most predominant, yes, uh, kingdom in all the world and one of the most powerful people in the world and he sends him with the calvary and not only does he send him with the calvary he literally sends him with a royal t- degree decree that says get out of my way and give me anything i need to complete what i'm called to do and it just kind of cracks me up he's like oh and by the way i had you know armed horsemen and army and they were just tagging along behind me it's cool don't mind them So Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he he does what any good leader does. He assesses the situation before he really makes any decision on what to do. So he assesses the city. More importantly, he assesses the walls around Jerusalem. And then he comes to the people of Jerusalem, and he shares what God has called him to do. He shares what God's called him to do. He says, hey, this is what God has called me to do. And not only that, I have explicit authority from King Arxerxes to commence the rebuilding of the wall. So here they start. And it says that in the scriptures, it says this is incredible. It says, as soon as he gets done sharing this, the people of Jerusalem say, let us rise up and build. And they began the good work immediately. A few weeks ago, or I guess it was last week, Isaac shared that how important and critical the genealogies are in the Bible, and how oftentimes I'm, you know, I'm guilty as anyone. We'll kind of skip over the listing of the names, right? For one, they're hard to pronounce. Two, it's kind of boring. You're like, yeah, yeah, get this guy, get this guy. You scroll down, and then you start to look. Has anybody ever done this? You look, you're like, oh, wow, that's like a whole chapter. Boom! You know, you're like, skip right past, you're like, ah, I knocked that one out fast, But it's critical, the names, the genealogies, and the reason are for two two reasons, right? So the first is it's a record of the faithfulness of God in the Bible. It is a way for the Bible to record for future generations, centuries later, the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of the people of God. And then the second is is that it helps to or or it does um, show the lineage of of Jesus. The prophecies of old, having the genealogies supports that. What we call that is corroborating evidence. And the reason is, is that over and over and over again, secular archaeology is unearthing these old records. And, you know, to their amazement, they're like, oh, it it matches the Bible. And we're like, yeah, duh. So it serves these two purposes. And it's critical to the Bible. And so in chapter 3, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there. So in chapter 3, all of chapter 3 is literally the, the calling out of the families of Jerusalem who are about to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, again, to provide some additional context, this is an enormous undertaking, you guys. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible, and I I don't know if it's just, like, a lack of context and understanding of the time, or maybe it's my small understanding of what God can do, but, like, I remember the first time I read Nehemiah years ago as a child, and, like, in my head, it was this wall that was, like, you know, this big, and it was, you know, a couple hundred feet long, The reality is is that the wall around Jerusalem, you guys, was thousands and thousands of feet long. In most places, it was five meters thick. And they rebuilt this thing in 52 days, which is an incredible feat, and it is absolutely a miracle. This was not just like a home remodel project. This wasn't like, well, I guess I have time on Saturday. What should we do, Bertha? Let's go and help build the wall. This was an all-hands-on-deck effort. It was a massive undertaking. And the thing that was really cool is that nobody was exempt. Priests, rulers, nobles, merchants, farmers, tradesmen, goldsmiths, men and women participated in the rebuilding of the wall. There were probably even some sales guys there. Sales guys though, let's be honest, I'm a sales guy. The, the, the contractor was probably like, hey Bill, you don't get a hammer, you don't get a chisel, we need you to move these rocks from here to here, can you not screw that up? Everybody participated. No one was exempt, everyone pitched in. Recall that when Nehemiah cast the vision, it says that they all replied immediately, yes, let's rebuild the wall, and they started the work immediately and in fact women were a critical part of this because even though much of the labor was you know too much for them to do it says that many of the older women who were wealthy contributed financially to the rebuilding of the wall so they couldn't bring themselves to do the physical labor but they contributed financially and they said hey we're going to pay for resources we're going to pay for materials we're going to pay for the people that are rebuilding the wall And so, as the scriptures often do, in chapter 3, they start to record, Nehemiah starts to record the names of the families that were called to rebuild the wall. And as I said, there were people from all walks of life. And the thing that you also need to know is that Jerusalem was a functioning city. Like, also in my, like, childhood recollection of Nehemiah, I kind of am thinking, like, there was a bunch of people just sitting around, like, what should we do today? No, this was a functioning city. There was commerce, agriculture. People were living their daily lives. There were, you know, moms raising families and guys going to the shop and guys going out to the fields to work. So they were, they were busy. They were doing things. They weren't just waiting around for something to do. And so Nehemiah comes and says, hey, we're going to rebuild this wall. Immediately they would understand that that was going to require them to sacrifice what they were doing every day for their livelihood to participate in the call of God. And so everyone steps forward. Everyone has these commitments, and they set them aside, and they step forward. But what is interesting, to me at least, is is that Nehemiah records that there are two types of people who responded to the call. Two. The first are the people who had no excuse and did no work, and the second was people that had an excuse and did the work. Let me say that again, soak this up. There were two type of people that responded to the call of Nehemiah, those that had no excuse and did no work, and those that had an excuse and still did the work. Of the first group, The scriptures in Nehemiah are unapologetic. Nehemiah specifically calls this group out, the nobles of the clan of the Tekoites, And he says that they would not stoop to serve the Lord. This group heard what Nehemiah said, heard the call of God, and could not bring themselves from their pride or their busy schedules or their laziness, or whatever it was, to participate in the call of God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, and I see stories like this, it's really easy to Monday morning quarterback these guys. You know, you look at it, and you read it, and you're like, what a bunch of lazy bums. How could they not answer the call of God? What were they doing? What was so important? And we judged them, and we mocked them in our brains, and we're like, man, if I was there, right? If I was there, I would have answered the call of God. I would have given everything I had. I would have given all my time and resources. I would have not stopped until the job was done. But here's the reality. This is going to sting a little bit, and this is for me as much as it is you, Man, we miss out on the call of God every day. Every day, God says, hey, this is the direction I'm going. And we go, but I can't, God, because I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and I'm busy here, and I'm whatever. We miss out on the call of God. You know, we're like, well, God, I would I would really, really, truly, God, I would really love to be involved in the church, but... Um, little Susie you know she's two and a half years old Um, she's got travel soccer for like the next six weeks and uh, man we just we can't be missing that she might be an Olympian one day that's not an actual example by the way if if that hit home a little bit I apologize Heather's probably taking a note this may be my last time preaching if you want to hear me next week I'll be down on the corner with a milk crate and a bullhorn (laughs) It was a pleasure being with you today. (laughs) But the reality is, guys, is that we all do it. We all do it. We all make these excuses. And here, this is in all seriousness, in all seriousness, the people of Judah were so annoyed by the nobles of the Tekawai clan that it says that 600 years later, they were still complaining that the Teco White nobles did not lift a finger to build the wall. 600 years later, I don't know about you, but I would hate to have the most published red book in all of human history record me as someone who didn't answer the call of God. That would be rough. I would be rough. I feel like if my mama Bennett was there with Nehemiah, she would have reminded the nobles that many, many hands make light work. <laughs> right, if mama, if you're out there? That's right. <laughs> I wonder sometimes what God will record of us. In our own lives, are we responding to the call of God in our lives to advance his kingdom, to contribute our portion? I heard someone once say that everyone has something to give. Whether it's skill sets or resources, finances, maybe it's a spiritual gifting, and it's probably not just one. You probably have more than one to contribute. What will God record of this body of believers? Do you ever ask yourself that? I do. What will be said many millennia from now about this group, about this church? Did we answer the call of God in our life, in our season, in this city? You see, there's no question that the Techoite nobles had, they probably had a legitimate excuse. They probably did. But that's the thing. There's always an legitimate excuse. there's always a reason why we can say, "God, that sounds great, but I got this thing that I got to take care of Many years ago, shortly after I got married to Heidi um, we weren't we, we weren't I wasn't living at home um, obviously that'd have been weird um, and there was this event, and to be honest with you, I don't even necessarily remember what the event was. But my mom called me, and Heidi and I were invited to the event, and it was gonna require a sacrifice from us. It was gonna require finances, it was gonna require time off of work. And my mom called, and I'm like, hey, mom, I'm really sorry, we're not gonna be able to come. And She said to me something that at the time didn't sit well with me because I was annoyed and I wanted to justify my excuse of why I couldn't be at this event. But she said something to me, and I can tell you, this is the absolute truth. And that is, people make time for the things that are truly important to them. If something is truly, truly, truly important, there is no excuse rather valid or not, that will prevent you from participating in whatever it is you've been called to participate in. But here's the thing about the nobles. I don't know exactly why they didn't participate, but chances are they probably thought that the work was below them. It was not up to their caliber. They were nobles. Why should they stoop to do the work of a laborer? Here's the thing, guys, and this goes for us as leaders and it goes for everyone here. The real work of the kingdom of God, more often than not, is menial and unglamorous. It's not standing up here on the stage. It's not leading worship. It's not having 10,000 social media followers. It's Meeting in the homes of the people around you and pouring into them. It's menial and unglamorous most of the time. For the rest of the today, though, we're going to focus on the other group. The other group. Those that did have an excuse and still answered the call of God. This is the group that could have bowed out. They could have phoned it in. They could have said, hey, you know, there's any number of reasons, right? They could have said, hey, you know, man, it's time to harvest the field. Hey, if I don't show up at my shop tomorrow, nobody's going to man it. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to provide for my family? Hey, um, I've got five kids at home. Who's going to take care of the kids while I help participate and build the wall? There were all these excuses, and they were absolutely valid. But I want you guys to get this. This is, this is, this is the, the thing that I want you to take away today. This is what it says of them. They did not think that their professions excused them, nor did they plead that they could not leave their shops or fields to attend the public business of building the wall. Instead... Knowing what they would lose would certainly be made up to them by the blessing of God upon their callings. This is the group who had to leave their shops, leave their fields, leave their homes, and answer the call of God in their lives. There's always an excuse, guys. Always an excuse. Our jobs are demanding, our kids are demanding, our kids are too young, our kids are too old. We've got sickness. Like, the list goes on and on, and I'm not belittling those. We've been there. We've been there in seasons where we're like, hey, we can't take this on right now for X, Y, Z reason, and they're valid. But the question is, Is are we going to answer the call of God in our lives? There's always an excuse, but there's also always an opportunity. God, guys, God has moved in this church from the beginning in a massive, massive way. And I can tell you, as I stand up here today, God is about to move in a massive, massive way like we've not seen since the beginning of Church 214. As many of you know, we've been including everyone in the the family discussion of what it looks like as we look to move to a new building. Now hear me out, the church is not a building. The church meets in a building. But the building can be an incredible tool to providing ministry and outreach and a place for us as the church to gather. And so God is preparing us to move. We know that as a leadership team. He's preparing us to move. We don't know the timing quite yet, but God is preparing us to move. Guys, as of today, Church 214 is 1592 days old. That's 227 Sundays that we've met together. That's 100 hours of corporate praise and worship. That's over 135 hours of sermons. Probably closer to 136. Chris takes a lot of, a lot of that up. <laughs> Immeasurable conversations, and prayer, and relationships, and people meeting together, and pouring into each other. And all of these numbers might sound like a lot, and they are, don't get me wrong. But God's about to do a big thing, guys. He's about to do a big, big thing. Acts 2.14, church 2.14, literally our name is a call to action. Acts 2.14, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. Our very name indicates action. Our very name indicates, hey, God, wherever you go, we want to follow. And in the 1,592 days since this church was formed, we have seen incredible things happen. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen health conditions completely miraculously healed we've seen jobs and career advancement new jobs better jobs better paying jobs we've seen relationships and families restored we've seen incredible things guys but I just one final thing God is going to move in a powerful way and to be clear you are a part of that You are, not even just a part of it, you are the core of what God is doing in this church. And so, in a little while, I'm going to wrap up here, but just kind of focusing in on chapter three again. Nehemiah begins to lay out the names of all the families that are attending to the work on the wall. Family after family, clan after clan, each is called out. And each is, each attention is brought to each as they are responsible for their area of the wall. So every family, clan, individual, they had a section of the wall that they were responsible for. But as important as the names are, and they are important as we laid out before, the names are critical, but as important as the names are, as I was reading through Nehemiah, there was one thing that stood out to me even greater than the names. There was one thing that in chapter 3, over and over and over, I kept seeing one phrase. In chapter 3, it starts out that it would, it calls out the, the group or the family or the clan, and then it says, and next to them. And then it would lay out another family, and then it would say, and next to them. And it goes all throughout chapter 3 over and over and over and over again, and next to them, and next to them. Showing unity, showing that this wall, while by the miracle of God, required the people of God to step forward together and to build the wall together, and next to them. Church, I don't know about you, but man, I want to be recorded as somebody who answers the call of God in my life. As somebody who says, God, I don't have all the details. Man, my schedule is busy. We've got three kids, a busy job, all this sort of stuff. But don't let me be somebody that misses out on the and next to them part of my life. So here's what we're going to do. I asked Holly to prepare a list of all the names of the people that attend this church, all of the family units. And we guys, we don't know quite yet where God's leading. We know that he's stirring. We know that he's doing something. We know that we're just patiently waiting as he makes it abundantly clear when we are to step forward. And we're a part of it, and you're a part of it. And all of us need to have the mentality of and next to them. As we move into this next season, there's going to be some of us that can contribute physically. You have skills. You have talents. Way better skills and talents than I have, most likely. Maybe you have financial resources that you can contribute. Maybe you have spiritual resources that you can contribute. Maybe you have none of that, but maybe you're good with kids and you're like, hey, let me have your kids so that you can go serve and next to them. There's a place for everybody, and chances are, guys, most of us have more than one gift that we can contribute. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand up. I'm going to read off every name of every family in this church. And as I read your name off, I want you to come forward and I want you to take one of these sharpies and I want you to sign your family name to this mock wall here. Make it pretty because we might use this somewhere someday. Don't put any chicken scratch up there. (laughs) Sign your name to the wall. And as you sign your name to the wall, just make room off to the side. And I encourage you to stay up here as we close in worship and just be meditating on what God is calling us to do. Where is he leading us and what are you going to contribute? Where is your place on the wall going to be? Who's going to be to your right and to your left as that words and next to them echo in your hearts? The Anderson family, and next to them the Arnold family, and next to them the Aaronholtz family, and next to them the Bennett families, and next to them the Bolt family, and next to them the Cohen family, and next to them the Craig family, and next to them the Escobar family. And next to them, the F- Fair family. And next to them, the Fisher family. And next to them, the Fitzpatrick family. And next to them, the Freeberger family. And next to them, the Garber family. And next to them, the Gilstrap family. And next to them, the Greenleaf family and next to them, the Hedman family, and next to them, the Hefty family, and next to them, the Hendricks family, we're only halfway through, guys. And next to them, the Kelly family, and next to them, the Crowey family, and next to them, the Kyle family, and next to them, the LaCrosse family, and next to them, the Lehman family. And next to them, the Laquia family. And next to them, the Little family. And next to them, the Lindsay family. And next to them, the McIntyre family. And next to them, the Mercado family. And next to them, the Monroe family. And next to them, the Patterson family. And next to them, the Perez family. And next to them, the Piper family. And next to them, the Pichard family. And next to them, the Smith family. And next to them, the Robbins family. And next to them, the Root family. And next to them, the Reuter family. And next to them, the Ramire family and next to them, the Schaefer families, and next to them, the Schilling Family, and next to them, the Schmidt Family, and next to them, the Schutz Family, and next to them, the Shaw Family, and next to them, the Smick Family, and next to them, the Spangler Family. And next to them the Simberski family. And next to them the Tays family. And next to them the Valcuez family. And next to them the Verardo family. And next to them the White family. And next to them the Winky family. And next to them the Zamaripa family. And next to them, the Ziegler family. And next to them, the Zobrist family. And next to them, the Estill family. Guys, if I missed you from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. Please, please, please come forward, and if you want to be a part of what God is doing in this church, guys. Are we going to answer the call of God? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is is that this church is more than ready for a move of God. I think that this church has an unbelievable amount of pinup energy and resources and desire for what God is going to do in this next season. I encourage you just over the next week to be prayerful about where God is going to lead this team, where God is going to lead this church, and what our next season looks like.